Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Benzker, along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And today we are going to go through the rest of the signings that have happened in NHL free agency um, since we recorded. Uh, we recorded last Wednesday, I want to believe, and literally 20 seconds after we hung up on the Zoom call, news broke that Brendan Gallagher signed an extension. Um, so we'll be starting kind of from there and moving on through the week and maybe touch... We'll touch on some other things that happened during the week and then uh, maybe try and, you know, talk about the the couple big names that are left. There's not too many names left, but uh, th- there's certainly a handful of guys that are still in the market that maybe are a little surprising at this point. But uh, I want to see in advance as well. If you hear any snoring, my dog is sitting by, right beside me for this episode. So uh, that will be him <laughs> if, uh, if you hear any of that in the background. Hopefully not, but you never know. So uh, with that being said, let's go to the, the signing that broke right away. I think I texted you. I said, are you freaking kidding me? And you said, of course. But uh, Brendan Gallagher, he signed, I believe it was a, is a six-year deal at uh, $6.5 million AAV with the Montreal Canadiens. That doesn't kick in until next year. Uh, what are your thoughts on this deal, Chase? It was lower AAV than I expected. I again, a classic. They're signing a dude to a contract that's going to kick in when he's like twenty or nine or thirty, and I expected to hate it, but it was a lot more reasonable than these contracts usually are. Yeah, I, I think generally speaking, that could be the theme of um, this whole free agency period. But uh, I, I don't know. Like it's it's one of those things where there's certainly a risk because um, how uh, you know, because at age 28, you know, Brian Gallagher plays a pretty physical game, signing him a full year in advance to a six-year deal. So it's pretty much like a seven, not like a seven-year deal, but, you know, you have him for seven more years now guaranteed. So I don't know. I do agree with you, though, that it came in like a mill or two below where I thought. And I mean, this is really good value for what Brendan Gallagher brings probably for the next, what, three plus years? Yeah, it's, it's, like he's absolutely worth more than that at the moment. Yeah, like, I, oh, easily. Not even close. Yeah, so like I don't know. It kind of. I think it'll probably even out. I think it was. Uh, I believe Dom tweeted out something about it. How his model had him pretty much being worth to close to six point five for the rest of his contract. You know, if not by the end, it's a little below. But he didn't really. His uh, regression model didn't really have him just falling off a cliff. But and you know, it just happens randomly. So it's not like that's uh, you know a certain thing or anything like that. But I think overall, it's a reasonable deal. I just the only thing that worries me is much like the Petri deal. It's a full year in advance. Yes, yeah, signing it a year out like makes the risk a lot greater. I would also like if you asked me to handicap the odds he's worth this, like it would be less. It would be a lower number than 50%, but like even like a 45% chance that he's worth the contract is surprisingly reasonable, especially given all the intangible reasons they would want to keep Brendan Gallagher on the team. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I think, uh, you know, like, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe he probably won't be worth it during the last couple of years, but if he can, if you can stretch it over the course of the deal where he gives you so, like, I think he's going to give you so much surplus value next, like the first two years for sure of this deal that, you know, maybe it balances itself out, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like the classic betting on him early and then you're repaying him late by probably overpaying him when he's like 35. 
Especially, yeah. like, you hear the Bergevin comments. I'm pretty sure he said something about wanting to make him the highest paid, like, skater on the team. I did not hear those comments, no. Okay, maybe it was just forward, in which case he did do that. But when he said that, I was like, does that mean he's getting more money than, like, Shea Weber? Because that would start to get dicey really, really quickly, but... Also, yeah, like this seems like something you shouldn't say as a general manager, just, you know, in, in general. Yeah, talking about <laughs> how much money you want to give your players is probably not a good idea in a salary cap league, but... Yeah, not really. I mean, like, and the, the thought's nice, but, like, yeah, just openly saying we want to give... I mean, like, to be fair, maybe if it was talking about forwards, that would make a lot of sense because currently their highest paid forward is Jonathan Drouin and Josh Anderson at $5.5 million, so... Yeah, he should be their highest paid forward, especially yeah. given how underpaid he's been for the past five years or whatever. Yeah, making 3.75. So, yeah, I don't know. I like this. Yeah, I really like Brendan Gallagher. Uh, he's a guy who, like, he kind of reminds me of what I think, you know, maybe long-term Sens fans want Brady Kachuk to be, but maybe even, a, like, maybe they want Brady Kachuk to be a little bit better just because of how high of a pick he was. But, like, he's a guy who he, his scoring rates will never jump off the charts because he doesn't have much of a scoring touch but he's always driving amazing play numbers. So it's like when he's on the ice, your team's not getting scored on, you know, they're not going to do as much scoring as guys who have insane amount of shooting talent, but the team just doesn't get scored on and dominate shot uh, quality as well. Yeah, exactly. And like Brady's showed a lot early. So maybe people would be right to be disappointed if he tops out at like Brendan Gallagher, but like on average, if you're getting Brendan Gallagher at like fourth overall, that's not nearly as bad as it sounds because of how much of a possession monster he is in spite of his like middling point totals. Like he still has first line point totals, but they're just not. Yeah. I mean, like, like if you, if you, it, it's weird because if you offer a fan, if you say you're getting an automatic first line player at fourth overall, every fan would take that. But then when you say, oh, it's Brendan Gallagher, people are like, oh, okay. I was thinking more like, I don't know, the Mitch Marner or David Pasternak kind of guys, right? But, like, he's still a very, very good and useful first-line player. Yeah, he's, like, an above-average first-liner, too. Like, that's he's a, he's a very effective hockey player, even yeah. though he doesn't do it in the flashiest of ways. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, great great extension for him. Uh, it was good to see. Uh, that has been, I think, the extent of what they have done since we stopped recording last week. So I think we can move on. To another team, uh, we'll stay in their division talking about the fourth overall pick. We'll go with the Ottawa Senators. They made a pair of signings this week. Um, there were actually, I, and so I, I think anyone who's listened to this podcast or since we started really would know that uh, I don't, uh, you know, I cheer for Ottawa, but a lot of what they do confuses me. I really like the week they had this week. I, I thought this was probably the most encouraging week of the offseason, which is weird, you know, in a relative to expectations, I should say. Um, this has been one of the most encouraging. So they signed Evgeny Dadanov at the three-year deal, $5 million cap hit. And then today they signed Connor Brown, three-year deal, $3.6 million cap hit. Let's start with Dadanov. What were your thoughts on him, the fit, and the money, I guess? I, so for Dadanov's sake, I don't understand the fit, but like everything for Ottawa, everything about this contract is awesome to me. Yeah, like, I, I don't really see a down. I was shocked that they were one of the teams. It's nice to see, but, yeah, I don't know. Like, I was, um, for Dadanov, maybe he just wants to a place where he knows he's going to be a top six winger, and he is automatically their best right winger, and I think it's between him and Kachuk for their best forward. 
uh, automatically on this team. So he's going to be playing first line minutes for probably the entirety of this contract, but at least for the first two years. And I would say at worst, he's going to be playing second line minutes if he gets bumped down. So. Yeah. I never really thought about it from that angle. Like he's absolutely getting top power play time, top line time, like everything. Yeah. I've heard a couple Panthers fans um, talk about how, they think that his numbers were greatly improved because he played all of his minutes with Barkov and Huberdeau. And I will definitely hear, I mean, obviously quality of teammate is important to consider, but every isolated model still has him as a legitimate top six winger. And to get one on the open market for $5 million a year for just three years, you just can't pass that kind of deal up. Yeah, because his numbers are impressive enough that like, even if the errors are skewing in the wrong direction, you're still getting a top six winger at $5 million for only three years. He gets to walk away before he hits his age, like 34, 35, 36. Like it's just perfect. Even if his numbers are slightly overrated. Yeah. I mean, even if for whatever reason, the contract uh, goes South and it just, it doesn't end up working out uh, as you said, three years, you know, um, it, it, they'll, they'll need the money in four years. That's after their big draft class. So that'll be when Stutzel's up and, and uh, you know, theoretically Sanderson, but you know, maybe even not, um, you know, in, in next year, they have Kachuk, Logan Brown, Drake Batherson, Rudolph Balser's up. So that'll be an, a big U, or RFA year, but they still have like tons and tons of cap room and they'll have Anisi Moss four and a half coming off the books. Good Branson's four, Mike Riley's one and a half, Anders Nielsen's 2.6. So, and that's on top of the 18 million cap space they already have. So uh, they'll be fine. And then the next big year will be in three or four years. So right when this contract's coming off the books, so even if for whatever reason it's a disaster, which I don't see it being, they'll still be fine, you know, like. Yeah, like if, if it blows up in their face, they can just eat the money. I don't know if uh, Melnick's willing to do that, but like. Well, you won't theory, have a choice, I don't think. Like, yeah. but. Oh, probably not. But like, it's, then they got to get to the cap floor too. So like that serves that purpose and they get a good player who's worth his money on the way there. Like that. Yeah, and I mean, like. And this deal is so movable too. Like if he has a bad year or two, I'm sure some team would be willing to take a swing at him from one year at five mil. Like, unless it's just like absolutely atrocious where he shows nothing. But if it's just like a down year, you know, I think you could easily pass off as well. I look who he's playing with or whatever. Right. But I don't, I don't, I don't foresee that being an issue. I, I just, I don't, this was one of the just most unanimous signings I think I've ever seen online in Sens Twitter and just in Twitter in general of like, damn, that's a good deal for the team. Yeah, exactly. And the so movable has a much better flip side where say he puts up 55 points on the top power play unit and they're like, damn, he even did it in Ottawa away from Barkov and Huberdo. Maybe some teams willing to give up like a second and third round pick for him next off season. Once the cap goes up a little bit or something like that. Like, I think it's fantastic. There's upside there and there's limited downside. Yeah, I think it's absolutely beautiful. And then the, the contract is signed today. Connor Brown avoids arbitration. And he was supposed to have arbitration this afternoon, and they signed the deal this morning. So they uh, avoid that. Three years, 3.6. It was right in the middle. I think Brown wanted two years, 4.5, and the Sens were offering one or three years at three point or 2.8 or something like that. So they literally made, met almost right in the middle. I think it was like 100K off the middle. I think a reasonable enough deal on both sides. Again, not as good as the Dadanov one, but I don't really have any issues with uh, with this deal for Ottawa. Yeah, at first I'm thinking like, 
Like, I don't know if Connor Brown's like a $3.6 million player, but then I'm like, what is he like a, a $3 million player yeah. after last? Like we're just splitting hairs at that point. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, and so like I, I was talking to, I think it was totally offside on Twitter today and he said it's one where it's like, yeah, it's not, it's probably a little overpayment, but for Ottawa, it literally doesn't matter. And that's kind of where I'm like, it does not matter. You, you, not you need to overpay, but this is the exact kind of guy. It's fine to overpay by, even if you want to say it's a full million dollars over the, you know, every year, like that's quite okay. He's a guy who can slide up and down your lineup, which you're desperately going to need this year. Ideally on a team, he would be third line left or right winger, you know, making two mil, but it's a, it's the perfect deal for like, so he's the sweetener in the Zaitsev trade. That is the exact same thing that I thought Ottawa should be taking on this year is the Connor Brown type players where it's like, yeah, we'll take your player. We can afford to pay him a little more because we have tons of cap room and he's a legitimate NHLer. But like, you know, if Tampa signed this deal or Toronto, it might look less favorable because it's like, okay, that money should be going to your top end players. Yeah, exactly. Like I would be pissed if the Leafs signed this deal, but like Brown's an NHL player and he can hang and you don't feel bad about throwing Brown to the wolves on your top six because you don't want to throw some young guy there right now. Like he, he feels a need for Ottawa and it's fine if they had to overpay, like I said, like 600 grand form or whatever that is. Yeah, exactly. They won't be missing that cap space. Uh, you know, we just, it's the same thing with the Dan nod. They just, they don't, they're so, they have so little salary on the books that it's quite okay. And just like, yeah, I think he's the perfect kind of fit for this team where it's like, he might start top six. He might even start on the third line, but I think he'll start top six. And then once Batherson shows he can move up, Batherson will probably pass him on the right wing and he'll play, you know, his ideal spot for the last year or two or the year or two or so in the, this contract will be third line right wing, you know, and if you're paying 3.6 for a third line right wing and you're not really up against the cap, I I really don't have a problem with that, you know? Like, sure, there's, you know, obviously if you have the choice and the extra couple mil could go towards, like, an Austin Matthews or him, you're choosing Austin Matthews every time. But if you don't have an Austin Matthews to pay, go get a Connor Brown to, you know, help and put some actual NHL talent on your team. Yeah, exactly. Like, if this contract even costs you Janssen or something, like, you're pissed off at it. But, like, it absolutely does not do that. And for anybody who's like me, uh, Leafs fan, or at least pays more, way more attention to the Leafs than Sens, and saw this number and was like, what the hell is that? Go look at how Connor Brown did in Ottawa. And I think, like, being traded to the Sens might have been the best thing that could ever happen to him. Yeah, he got a huge, like, he played first line minutes in every scenario pretty much last year for Ottawa, just because they literally did not have anyone else. Um, so. Like, his, he put up career numbers last year, which also helped this contract spike a little bit. But he also, like, didn't play bad in the – not, like, obviously he's not your he, a guy you want on your first line, but considering how big of a role he got thrown into, he really didn't play that bad. Yeah, exactly. And there's also this kind of, like, trap bad teams can fall into where, like, you can't just play a dude on, like, your first line, on your power play, and on your penalty kill, and then turn around and be like – well, you're only a $2 million player. It's like, well, if I'm only a $2 million player, why are you pay- playing me everywhere? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's a, a reasonable deal. Like, I, It was a lot better, not a lot better than I was expecting, but I saw some talks of like four plus mil for two or three years. And if it was two years, I don't think any AAV would have really upset me just because, again, they really don't need that until next year's up. Um, so... I don't know. Like, I, I think it's uh, good, you know? Like, I, I'm really 
as a Sens fan, I'm pleasantly surprised. And, you know, add that in with the um, Dadunov contract. I think it's been a very good week for Ottawa. Yeah, exactly. And, like, the only worry with slightly overpaying guys like Brown when you're a bad team is we say, oh, you could have used that cap space to take on a bad contract and get assets back, which is, of course, the smart thing to do. But we also know there is a 100% chance that the Sens don't want to do that. So, Yeah, and, I mean, like, Connor Brown was – kind of what the asset was a year ago when they took Zaitsev. I mean, that's a whole different thing. I, I, everyone knows my feelings on the Zaitsev deal. It's stupid. It, it's bad. It let the Leafs off the hook, who now signed Tyson, or, uh, uh, Brody. T, TJ Brody with that money. But, you know, it, it's still like at some point you need to use the assets you get back as well. And if Connor Brown's the asset you identified, I mean, I think, you know, if you would have got him for like a good Branson-type player, that'd be sweet. For Zaitsev, eh, not so much. But, again, that's – also, you know, sunk cost, right? So, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, those costs have been sunk. You already have Zaitsev, so you might as well just appreciate Connor Brown. Use them, overuse them to protect the kids if you have to, and either let them ride out the contract or trade them for like a fourth round pick on the final year of the deal. Yep. So, I don't know. Overall, I thought it was a pretty good week for Ottawa, which uh, you don't always say too often. So, I like saying it when I can. Um, Let's stick in the division. Let's go to the Toronto Maple Leafs now. They made a pair of signings after we were done. One I really – I think we talked about it, but I really didn't think it was going to happen. I, I assumed he was going to go back to San Jose. He doesn't. Joe Thornton signs with the Toronto Maple Leafs. One year, 700K, the exact same deal as Spezza, except Thornton gets a full no-move clause as well on top of that. Um, so he's now a Leaf. Uh, it, it's weird saying that – Joe Thornton and Jason Spezza are all are both Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, it's incredibly weird. They're going to have like the biggest gap between their fourth line and their top nine in the league with the way they play. Yeah, I want. I mean, like, so it. I don't know. I think we discussed it. You, I, this I, definitely sounds like something we discussed the possibility of last week, but because I remember you saying you weren't sure about their fourth line, and then I said, "Well, if they sign Thornton, I think he'll be pretty good." And you're like, "Yeah, actually, it will." It's their third line. Now I'm, I'm kind of wondering, you know, does Thornton play third line or does he play fourth line? Or, you know, maybe it's a mix of both. Yeah, so some people have Thornton penciled in at 3C and then Kerfoot playing the wing. I don't know if I love that, although it might work. Like, I don't know, it depends what Joe's got in him, right? Because yeah. he wasn't bad last year. He's had two of the last three years he's been reasonably effective. And if we get that, Joe, then... Sure, I like it, but if we get an age Joe Thornton, then that gets really dicey really fast, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the age Joe Thornton would be, you know, he'd be getting cut or 13th slash 12th forward pretty quick on this team. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, I think, or, you know, uh, again, I just, I want to see, I, I know in San Jose sometimes he would run up even in the top six. He'd play, he'd take a draw, but then play wing. You know, maybe you do something that with him and Kerfoot where it's whoever's on their better side takes the draw and then, you know, you can determine what the matchup is if you'd rather Thornton on the wing or at center. Or, you know, maybe he plays one game on the at center, one game on the wing, one game in the press box to, you know, keep his legs going or whatever. I, I don't know. But I like the signing enough. For 700K, there's literally no downside. So I, I think, you know, their, their forward core is very interesting. Uh, they re-sign Ilya Mikheyev, two years, $1.6 million. Again, I think that's a pretty good contract. Like, for some guy you picked out from Russia, he, he only played 39 games last year, so it's good money for him too. But, I mean, if he's even a third-line winger, that's we're just talking about how 
Connor Brown went for 3.6 mil as a, as a third liner. If you get Mikheyev for 1.6, I think you're happy with that, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, like, so Mikheyev's numbers were, like, jump off the page good last year once you account for how good he was on the penalty kill. And people are rightfully skeptical that 39 games of that was a bit of a flash in the pan, but like his numbers were so good and $1.6 million is so small. He can regress very, very heavily. And this is still a fine to great contract. Yeah, exactly. Like literally if he's, I think his worst case scenario is he's the ninth best forward on this team, probably. And like, I'm talking worst case scenario in terms of him being bad, not just like, you get a just vintage year out of Spezza or Thornton or whatever for some reason. Or, you know, Nick Robertson just turns into a top-line winger already. But, like, I just the downside doesn't – I don't know. Like, he just – every time you watched him, it was just so clear that he was an NHL-style player, you know? Like, he, he's not loaded with talent or anything like that, but he's that uh, quote-unquote sandpaper that everyone, you know, raves about all the time. Yeah, like, he, he just seemed like – a good but not, like, extremely good or, like, eye-popping middle six forward. And they're paying him, like, a meh third liner. So, yeah, yeah. I, I don't get what there is to hate. No, I don't. I really don't think either. I don't see it either. So, I, I, I hate how I'm doing this again. Every year I tell myself, don't get sucked into liking the Leafs uh, roster. And every year I kind of... I, I go, oh, this could be really exciting if they, you know, if everything goes to plan. And every year they just find a way to to screw it up. So uh, they still have Travis Dermott to sign. It'll be interesting to see what they do with him. Uh, they have uh, zero cap space right now. I think they're they have like, to sign Dermott to like a one year show me deal. Right. Like yeah. I mean, no- I don't think they have, and it's not like Dermott is much of an option either. It's not like he's been amazing where he can demand the world of them. No, he hasn't been like as bad as some people say, but like, no, but he's been like he hasn't been the second pair, legitimate second pair, obvious gonna play there all year defenseman that a lot of people were hoping he would be either. You know, like he's, I'd say he's a fringe four slash five kind of guy right there right now. Yeah, I would say that in his first year, like his first year with the Leafs, he had like ridiculously good on ice numbers. And the farther we get away from that, and the less we see of it, it looks more like a classic. Um, the way Mike Babcock so aggressively sheltered his third pair, it that his numbers made him look better than he was. But like, yeah, they still value a guy who's a good third pairing guy. Yeah, the the Leafs have claimed that they're not going to trade anyone away, but like they're 175k over the cap right now. So I, I guess if you send Robertson down to start the year, they're clears up. Then you have 700,000 if you send one more down. Like, they're probably going to have to play with a 20-man roster again at points in this year just to try and eat up some some space, you know? like Yeah, that's what it looks like. And this is not the year I would want to be going small roster, but... No, I probably of... wouldn't be either. Maybe, or maybe they're banking that, you know, the league... Because you know how, like, with the NFL, we've seen expanded practice rosters and stuff to account for COVID? Maybe they're just praying that that happens that they can carry extra guys around with them but I, I don't know like or you know I guess if you send Sandine down as well like maybe you don't think Sandine's ready so if both Robertson and Sandine don't start the year then you have 1.5 ish mil to sign Dermot and I think you know both player and team could settle on something one year 1.5 or something like that and then go from there yeah or that or they trade Hall because they said they want to use Dermot on the right side yeah yeah, maybe, but yeah, I don't know. Like, 
Why does Justin Hall have a modified known trade clause? That is strange. That is very strange. Seems like everybody, like so many contracts. He has the same no trade clause that Morgan Riley does. (laughs) That's fun. Actually? Yeah, yeah. they're both, I mean, Riley signed the deal, you know, earlier, but because he's in his UFA years just starting now, but that seems weird. That's kind of something I missed, like, Feels like you probably didn't need to give Hall six million dollars over the course of a contract and a no trade clause, but probably not. That being said, I'll be a little sad if they trade Hall. Like him and Dermot was such an effective pair, and when he's only making like two mil, I think yeah, he's they just have, yeah, I don't know. Like they just have so many bodies now. Like and, and not like that's a bad thing either, right? Like I'd have I'd rather have this problem than be like, okay, who on earth is going to be playing as our eleventh and twelfth forward because we're just praying that some AHL guy can fill in the void, but. You know, and maybe they waive Travis Boyd, too. Like, who knows? There, there's options, definitely. They're not screwed by any means. It's just, like, everyone they've signed I don't think is going to get into as many games. as Like, there's just not – legitimately not space for everyone, right? Like, so yeah, someone's going to have to be sitting or whatever. Remember a couple of years ago when the, it was, like, peak Blackhawks and they had a dude who was playing every night, but it was, like, they sent him down for, like, eight hours of the day to free up, like, $20,000 in cap space or something stupid? Yeah. I think they'll – gonna have to do that kind of stuff this year but yeah it'll be something like i mean and they were tough in last year too you know like they were riding a 20-man roster for a little bit and they had to play a game down a man i think because someone got hurt and they couldn't call someone up right away like it was a mess but yeah so I, i could see something like that happening again if they need to but at the same time like maybe not you know like they are if they send so right now they have Two, four, six, seven defensemen, and this does not include Dermot. They have two goalies, seven defensemen, and 13 forward on their roster, and they're 175K over the cap. So if you send down, say, one defenseman and you sign Dermot, uh, and this is with Engvall and the Miners, I should say, as well. So if you send down one defenseman and one forward, and you have 12 forward and seven defensemen up here and two goalies, you'll be under the cap. So maybe you just can only carry around one guy to start the year and not two. And I don't like, I don't know if that's a forward or defenseman, but who knows? Probably be a defenseman. Cause if you're the Leafs, you're pretty comfortable going 11 forwards, given your top guys. You would think so. Yeah. But I don't know. It'll be in something to watch. That's for sure. Um, all right, moving on. Let's go probably the next biggest pair of names. I'm just trying to go with people of multiple guys who have signed. Uh, the New York Rangers made a pair of signings as well this week. Uh, they, their first one, uh, they signed Alexander Gorgiev, the goaltender, uh, for two years. And let me find the contract. I think it was around $2.4 million off the top of my head. Does that sound right? Yeah, um, yeah. so um, I think this is – a fine deal, you know, 2.425, two years, one-way contract, you know, just shy of $5 million. Um, You know, I've gone back and forth on him, but I think even if he's a backup goalie, this is a reasonable price to be paying your, you know, tandem slash backup guy. Yeah, I mean, given the trade rumors around him last year, this is probably about $8 million too low, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, like, yes. It, it's, <laughs> it is funny, like, just to. I know. So I go back and forth on it. Right. But it was just like, it is hilarious to see how much of like just perception changes from like a five game stretch where one fan base goes nuts and be like, we need this dude for whatever reason to just the end of the year where it's like, Oh yeah, no one has money. And by the way, 
why on earth would we ever trade, you know, our second line right winger for him? Like, yeah, like, but. so all of his good numbers are on the penalty kill. Um, I don't really know what that means. Like, he's probably a decent to good goalie. So I don't know. I feel like there's not much to hate with this contract. No, I don't think so either. I don't really like, again, if he's the, what? Tenth best backup in the league. I think this is still fine value, you know. Like, yeah, and even like, yeah, like so he played with Lundqvist. So he played thirty something games last year, if I remember correctly, thirty four games. And you probably want a backup capable of playing thirty games when your plan is to ride a rookie as a starter. Yeah, with Darkin. Yeah, or, I think he'll probably play thirty five, maybe even forty. You know, if they have to split the net. But I, I think he will probably play thirty to thirty five games this year. So. I don't know. I think it's reasonable. Yeah, I think it's very reasonable. And it's, it's the perfect kind of backup to have when you're riding a rookie. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's uh, definitely a, a fine deal that, you know, came in, and honestly, under what I thought, too. You know, like, it, we make the jokes about the um, the the value or whatever this year, but uh, it, I honestly thought, you know, I could have saw the Rangers talking themselves into being because Lundqvist's off the books now talking themselves into uh, paying him three plus mil or, you know, four mil a year for a couple of years. And they didn't do that. So. Yeah, they could have gotten, especially because they have the cap space to do it. So it's not like they needed a nickel and dime them either. Yeah. I mean, I don't really, again, like, I don't think this is nickel and diming him for whatever no. it's worth. Like, it's not like he has this huge history of just being amazing. So. Yep. He's all right. He gets an all right contract and good for him. He gets, $5 million to add to his career earnings, give or take. Yep. That's um, pretty fair for him. And then the other the other uh, uh, deal that got signed, I will not be saying good for him because the dude's a piece of shit, but uh, this is hockey. We'll, we'll stay with the on-ice stuff for now. Anthony D'Angelo, two years, $4.8 million per year. Uh, so just over um, – or sorry, just I should say just shy of uh, 10 mil total on the ca- deal. On-ice, I think this is – Fair value, probably. Maybe even a deal for the the Rangers. If we're only talking on ice, I think this is a steal for the New York Rangers. Yes, um, you know, and again, like not, we should bring up, like, and I don't know if people are wondering what I'm talking about. He is a huge Trump supporter, and um, you know, again, I, I don't need people yelling like, "Oh, just because he disagrees politically." No, it's also he said some just extremely insensitive tweets and stuff like that. It, it feels like once or twice a month, he is making just a shit storm for the New York Ranger um, um, PR department. So, um, but yeah, if you look at his actual on ice numbers, he's a very good defenseman uh, at five on five offense. He can't play defense, but he's good uh, offensively and on the power play. Um, so. Yeah. He seems to love being like the character of the day on Twitter for whatever reason you would think he has something better to do but apparently he does not but when he is not tweeting really stupid things he is being an incredibly productive defenseman so i guess good for the rangers yeah i mean like yeah i don't know it's one where it's like i feel weird talking about it as just an on ice thing just given all the off ice thing and like there's been history with him too like he was suspended in junior for calling a guy, you know, using a racial slur, I'm pretty sure. I should probably check that before I say that. But, you know, I know there was there was problems in uh, Junior, and, you know, like, I don't know if you saw the video of his dad as well. Like, 
I don't know. It's just, it's weird to talk about, but uh, you know, the, the Rangers, the one thing I will say is, isn't Adam Fox really good on the power play as well? Uh, that is a good question. I know he was dominant at five on five, obviously, but I was pretty sure it was D'Angelo that was running the power play. Yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. Cause I was gonna say if Fox is good on the power play, that'd be the only, yeah, I mean, Fox is really good on the power play too, but I don't know. That that would be the only thing where it's like, and you could never have too many good defensemen, right? But it's like maybe he becomes someone they look to move just because he's uh, um, redundant there. Yeah, yeah, like they already have a guy like him. But again, like there's also not like you have uh, anything with that. So um, I'm trying to see junior hockey. Uh, He was suspended three games without pay. Oh, that was National Hockey League for abuse of an official. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Sarnia's Anthony D'Angelo suspended for slur uh, directed at teammate. So not even at at a teammate, which is uh, not good. Yeah, like, and he's one of the guys where, like, people talk about, like, character concerns a lot. And with Lina, it's like, Oh, he's confident in himself and likes Fortnite. Yeah. Out of that, whereas with Tony D'Angelo, he's one of the few guys where we talk about quote unquote character concerns and like there's actually something there that is very, very public. Yeah. Like just like, like, yeah, public and very concerning. Like, like just uh, can't get out of his own way. Yeah. But, you know, you never hear, you know, people talk about, oh, he's not great in the locker room for him. So. I wonder why that would be, you know, yeah, like that's a good question. Who could ever figure that out? Eh? Yeah. Um, all right. Let's go on to a bit of a lighter note. Uh, let's go to the Calgary flames. We'll keep it Canadian uh, for most of this, but you know, this has been a pretty Canadian heavy podcast, but that's just how the news broke this week so far. Um, they signed uh, Dominic Simone today, one year, 700 K. Jeez. This was a, this is where you really see players getting pinched because I did not think he was going to have to take that kind of a deal. Yeah, like he just took league, man. That is wild to me. Yeah, for being like a legit, like he can't, he he doesn't have much scoring talent, um, but he he drives for like you know I don't I don't want to say he was playing on a line with uh, Sidney Crosby, so I don't want to say he drives play, but he helps drive play at a pretty reasonable rate. Everything suggests, you know. Yeah, like he's he looks like an average-ish NHL player, and like an average-ish NHL player for. League men is fantastic. And again, same with the Mikheyev thing. Like, even if you go, well, it was with Sid, so you want to knock him down a full, like, line tier from, like, a meh second liner, which was league average, to a meh third liner. Like, you're still paying him league men. That's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and they also re-signed uh, Andrew Magiapain. Uh, another really, like, uh, that's an under-the-radar one, I think. They gave him two years at just shy of 2.5 per, 2.425. Um, but he's a really, really solid bottom six player. Yeah, for every um, for every Mangia Payne style player that my model likes, there are there's also a Michael Kempney usually. But like, it's nice to see the Mangia Payne ones turn out and to brag about it because my numbers have been super high on him for two years, and I think this was a fantastic contract. And I think everybody else is gonna bring this guy's name up a lot more in the future. Yeah, I mean, he got talked about a lot more this year already. And, you know, I, I think, you know, he's only 24 years old too. So it's not like this is like a 29-year-old they're signing where it's like, 
you could expect him to maybe start regressing soon. He's literally 24. Simone's 26. Like, I really, and you know, I, I didn't love the um, Calgary's offseason from a long-term standpoint, you know, with Markstrom's deal and especially the Tanev deal, but I really liked how they've shored up their depth a little bit this year, you know, and, and guys who might even be able to bounce up, you know, to the top six if if they need to switch things up. Yeah, exactly. And I think, say something something gets a little weird, they're like, hey, let's put Mangia Payne up on the top power play unit to look for a spark. Like, I think people are all of a sudden going to be like, hey, is this maybe one of the best contracts in the league? Because he has the 5v5 production. He just needs power play time to get those point totals up. Yeah. So, um, I don't have much more to say on those. Like, they're two depth signings, but I figured we'd bring them up because I thought they were pretty solid. Uh Let's go to uh, one the guy who's played for both of our teams. Cody Cece finds a new deal with the Pittsburgh Penguins. So they buy out Jack Johnson just to uh, go, and, go and turn around and sign Cody Cece to a one-year deal uh, worth $1.25 million. I, I know everyone laughed at this. This is whatever, I think. Like, he's an upgrade on Johnson. Uh, it is kind of funny that the team that employed Gabranson and Johnson over the past calendar year now also has employed Cody Cece, but uh, I don't know. Like, yeah, everybody dunked on this, and, like, Cece's a miserable player to watch, so I get that, but, like, one two, 1.25 is, like, vaguely reasonable for Cody Cece. Still too much, but, like... I think not part of the thought it's going to be part of the reason people dunk on them is because you see how good Branson and Johnson got used in Pittsburgh, and like if Cody CC was signing for one point two five to be their sixth defenseman, I'd be like, yeah, this is okay. But is there anything to really suggest over the past two years that that's how he's going to be used in Pittsburgh? No, they deserve absolutely no benefit of the doubt. Yeah, so like I, that's kind of where part of the laughter is, and but I don't know, like if you actually use if Cody C, I'm. Very curious to see what kind of numbers Cody Cece puts up in terms of just on-ice results if he actually gets to play in a third-pair, somewhat sheltered role um, where he's not relied on at all in the top four. Um, because I think, you know, I've long said, like, I think Cece is an NHLer. I just think he is very definite a third-pair guy and nothing more than that. Yeah, I completely agree. And, like, if they're using Cece above John Marino, this is somehow manages to make a $1.25 million contract a disaster, which is hard to do. But like, if they do play him on the third pair, I think he'll probably just like quietly put up meh third pairing results and everybody will kind of forget about him. Yeah, exactly. Um, trying to think of where else we got to go. Uh, oh, okay. Today, uh, a couple of signings today that happened. Uh, Jake for two years, $2.5 million. I don't really, I don't know. Like, do you have much to say on this? Uh, no, not really. I mean, good for Vertanen, I guess. Yeah. like <laughs> They get him as an RFA again, which is big in case he does break out. I don't think it's very likely that. Yeah, like at this point, I think he is what he is, you know, like a at best third line player, probably a fourth line player, you know. Like, Yeah. Like, I scored 18 goals last year, which is more than I would have guessed, but like. His five-on-five numbers weren't very good, but yeah. maybe that's... Like, there's so much evidence that he's not that good. Yeah, and but I mean, like, if you get a guy who plays a 5v5 third or fourth line and then pots in a couple on your second power play, like, I don't... You're not complaining about that for $2 million or whatever either, right? Like, Yeah, and he... I could see if he has, like, trade value and stuff too. Like, 
he's not a train wreck on ice or whatever. Like he is a, he's in your bottom six. It's not the end of the world. And it's not like they're paying him a ton of money to do just that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and then uh, it's, it's signing like, so him and uh, Dennis Gurionov signed for the exact same AAV 2.5 uh, million or 2.55 million, I guess for both of them. Uh, so Gurionov gets a two-year deal at 2.55 as well. So literally the exact same deal. Um, which one of these players would you rather take right now? Uh, Gurionov and Harpy. Yes, like it's not even close. Like, no, uh, and, not. and, you know, granted, like, uh, Gurionov, it's not like he's had history of being, like, amazing like he was this year, but uh, he was just so much better this year that uh, I can't believe they came in on the exact same contract. Yeah, so I will say what scares me about that is Gurionov doesn't have good AHL numbers. Like, he scored more in the NHL this past year, or as much than he ever has in the AHL. So it's not like it's a sl- he's a slam dunk to repeat it, but I do think there's a lot more upside to Gurionov. I believe he's younger, too. Um, He is... Yeah, 23. And I think Vertanen is, what, 24? Yeah, Willie's 20. Is yes. Willie's 24? Uh, that sounds about right. Oh, he's 23. But same draft, so within a year makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I say Vertanen's 24, and he turned it in August. So this will be his 24-year-old season. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I was just shocked to see that they came in on the exact same AAV because Gurionov was, like, legitimately one of Dallas's better best forwards last year. And not just in the playoffs, like – the regular season too. Yeah, it's impressive that they got him at such a small number. When when you have a playoffs like that with such a small regular season sample, it could have like Brian Bickle contract written all over it. But they still got him at two point two five, which is or two point five five, which is pretty reasonable, I guess. Just hope he is what he was last year. Or I mean, again, like even if he's not what he was last year, like. As long as he's not like as long as he's not like significantly worse, you're fine. But you know, like you can bet. The best part about this is you can bet on some regression and still an okay contract. You know, now yeah. that'll speak different for your team in terms of like you want him to be good, obviously, because like if he's if he plays less than he did last year and saying Jesus, Sagan and Ben regress further, then you're uh, questioning it a little bit, but. Yeah, for like the long-term outlook of the stars, it can look ugly. But like for this individual contract decision, there's very few ways in which this goes bad. Agreed. Um, let's move on to a uh, four-year deal signed by Boston, Matt Grizzlick. Uh, he signs for an average of three point six eight seven five. The the uh, the cap hit numbers have been absolutely wild this year. There, there's been a lot of like I think it's because teams have had to squeeze just because of the non-growing cap, but like. Usually you'll see like just three point six, three point seven, or whatever. Like there's been a lot of like eight hundred or eighty-seven thousand dollars is what the difference has come down to. Yeah, it's kind of funny seeing the like super super specific numbers, but I like this contract a lot actually. I think it's a solid deal. Um, I was I, I thought it was um, maybe not an overpayment, but like just dead on fair value when I first saw it. And then I kind of looked into Grizzlick's numbers a little bit, and he's a lot better than I thought, especially considering Boston's really going to need him this year. Yeah, exactly. And there's also this weird thing where like I think this was close to an overpay, and I also think he's probably worth more than this at the same time, if that makes any sense. Like I don't think he has much leverage here. I don't think players like him tend to make a ton of money because 
Like, he's a great puck mover, but, like, his value comes in suppressing chances against as a result of that. So I don't think there's any way he was going to make a lot of money. But also, like, 3.6 is good for him. Yeah, it's not like 3.6 is a lot of money, right? But, yeah, like, he's the one of the better defensive defensemen in the game. Like, his even strength defense is pretty much where his whole value comes from in terms of goals above replacement. Yeah, which is the perfect kind of player to underpay relative to their war or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that's a, a, a very reasonable deal. Good deal probably for, you know, Boston. Like, I think he's only 26, so it takes him straight to his uh, year 30, I think, uh, you know, and then you can kind of cut bait or whatever if you need to then, right? So I, I think uh, you know, that's a pretty solid signing. Yeah, and, like, are they going to use him on the top pair this year? They might have to. Like, uh, you know, you have McAvoy, Grizzlick, Carlo, Moore, Clifton – and I'm assuming Zdeno Chara still. So like they like if you go McAvoy, Grizzlick this year. Hmm. Is Chara playing this year? He said he wants to come back, but then he was also talking. There was up in the air about if he's going to come back with Boston or not. Chara in a different uniform would be wild. Yeah, which is funny to say, just because like he wasn't it's not like Boston's his only uh, jersey. No, it's just like, it feels well. It has been forever since he's. Uh, he's yeah, I mean, it's been like this would be. How many teams? Like, if he went somewhere else, would uh, how many franchises would he have played with in his NHL career? Uh, that would be his third, correct? It was just Ottawa and Boston. Fourth, he got drafted by the Islanders, and played four <laughs> full seasons with the Islanders before getting traded to Ottawa. Oh really? Yeah, like he got drafted in the third round in 1996. Then in 1997-98, played 25 games. Then 59-65-82. And then the 0 2 got traded with the pick that was Jason Spezza, that became Jason Spezza for Alexi Yashin. And then played four years with Ottawa and then has played uh, a decade and a half with Boston. Yeah, so he did all that and then played with Boston for longer than the vast majority of NHL careers. Yeah, like he played eight years with two teams and then went to a, another team and has played 15 years there. So, And like one of the better 15-year runs in the history of the league. Yeah, and he missed a full year because of a lockout too, like in the 0405 season. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, so he would have played nine seasons with, you know, two teams. And then, yeah, so it, it's crazy to think, you know, about where he would go. I, I would assume he'll probably come back to Boston, you know, on a, just a cheap deal or whatever. Yeah, I would think so. He's getting a little hard to watch. Like, I don't even know if it's a good thing if he comes back or not, but it's hard to imagine the Bruins without him at this point. No, it really would. And it's like the one thing I will say is his style of play still kind of benefits playoff hockey. That's more of a thing on playoff hockey than it is him because they just refuse to to call penalties there. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, and he's, I'm sure he'll still have some good, like, zone entry denial numbers because of his 95-foot stick at the blue line or whatever. Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So uh, two more contracts. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. He can't move and still manages to put up, like, decent possession numbers, which is one of the biggest mysteries in the world to me, but works for him, so. Yeah, and, I mean, I'm sure some of that's probably his teammates too. Like, he plays a lot of his minutes with the good players on Boston, but at the same time, like, He's part of it, too. It's not like he's just actively dragging everyone down. So, Yeah, exactly. Uh, two more signings to get through. These ones are pretty small, so we'll, we'll go through them pretty quick. Tyson Yost, or Jost, signs with Colorado. One year, 874 k Again, uh, lower than I thought it was going to come in, but it's just a one-year kind of prove-a-deal. And 
you know, it's cap. It's not that shocking. Yeah. He's a depth player. He's a third liner really, you know, like, and not like an elite third liner, I would say either. He's kind of an average third liner. So I don't know, like this is good value for Colorado. And I think, you know, if he keeps, he's 22, so there's still a little bit of room to grow. If he can become even like a better third liner, I could see him getting a pay, you know, pay raise to the two millions or so, like we saw a bunch of other guys get this year. Yeah, I could see something like that. And it's nice with him being 22 that he's actually been on an upward trajectory recently. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, it's not like like the Vertanen thing where it was like, okay, we've seen nothing of growth of Vertanen in the past three years. Why is he going to get better now? It's like there has been actual some growth from growth from Yost over the past three years. So that's good to see at least. Yeah, because like his point totals haven't looked quite as good recently, but like his first season, he was actively terrible. He just played on the power play, so juiced his point totals a little bit, but he has since turned that around as he's gotten older. So maybe there's some upside to this contract. If not, it's fine as it is. Yep, exactly. Um, all right, last one we have that got signed today. I don't even know if we really need to talk about this, but I'll bring it up. Oh, actually, there, there was two I missed, I guess. Chris Russell signs a one-year deal in Edmonton, and people are laughing, but it's 1.12 or 1.1 1. 1,000,000.25, you know, 250K. Uh, it helps them. It exposes him to the expansion draft. I don't hate this as much as most. Like, I thought I would have because – like everything that is pointed to show that Edmonton knows he's a five slash six defender who can be used in limited situations. And this is just kind of what I would expect someone like that to get paid, you know? Yeah, exactly. And you know, that thing where like running, like, so a bunch of dumb analysts in football think like running backs should be paid or just as valuable as quarterbacks, even though they're next to useless, but like they're not actually useless, but the pushback on the, the analysts like over correction is to say that they're completely meaningless. Like I think nerds have kind of done the same thing with Chris Russell where he got so overhyped by hockey men. Everybody's like, Oh, he's a complete fucking train wreck. And like, he's not good, but like $1.25 million is perfectly reasonable for Chris Russell. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the other contract is going to bring up was Dmitry Kulikov one year, 1.15 with New Jersey. I'm assuming he'll just be, a third pair defenseman on that team. So it's not a big deal at all, in my opinion. Yeah. Kulikov's not that good, but nothing about this contract suggests they believe he is. So it's all right, I guess. Yep. Uh, and then a uh, small note, uh, Doc Emmerich announced that he is retiring this week. Um, so, you know, it's sad to see him go. I didn't really, I refuse to listen to a lot of NBC games. I think lately he's become overhyped maybe, you know, but th- that being said, he's uh been uh you know uh one of the best in the business just for a long time and there are some calls like when you go and listen to some replays of calls that he's made it's like damn like those are really good so uh good to see him have a good career and you know hope he enjoys retirement as well yeah exactly good for him there's a lot of people that aren't a fan of him but he's like iconic whether you're a fan of him or not so yeah exactly so um I don't have much more to say on him. Uh, the only other thing was uh, today the NHL announced that the Winter Classic and NHL All-Star Weekend will be canceled this week this year. Um, I, the All-Star one's not at all surprising to me, and the Winter Classic one's really not that surprising when you, you know, think about it for about three seconds. Yeah, it'd be... Like, the big thing with the Winter Classic is there's, like, 60,000 people there, which whatever, which you obviously can't do. 
I'm a little surprised, although given the amount of work that goes into it, maybe that was just like logistically impossible to do that while social distancing. Um, yeah, well, I think to me, more signals that um, they're not going to be starting by January 1st. Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot about that part. I was thinking you could do it whenever. But. Yeah, because the, the Winter Classic is always January 1st. So to me, that probably signals that they're not going to be starting then, even though that's their target date. But I don't know. Like, it, it is a ton of money to um, uh, do those rinks outdoors as well. So I'm assuming that if you can't pack the house with 60,000 tickets at, like, over $100 a ticket apiece, that it probably just wouldn't be worth it. Yeah, that would make sense. And, like there's the players aren't going to complain either. Like it's not like many people think this is a big loss other than the fans who would have gotten to go, but the fans weren't going to get to go anyways. So yeah, right. exactly. Like I'm, I'm trying to look it up. I mean, cost the stage an outdoor hockey game. I thought it was like, it was some stupid amount of money. Um, because I've done them. Like you probably have to do fake ice and everything. And like, Oh, you absolutely have to like, for ninety percent, just like I don't think the NHL can trust not fake ice anymore, right? Like, no, yeah, like we we didn't even play pond hockey at all last year. I don't think. Yeah, so I think well, this one just, says it costed them ten million dollars to to put up the rink for the the the, the thing, right? Like, yeah, so that's and expensive th- enough that if you're not packing the house, you're just not doing it. Yeah, and that was in Michigan, so they packed the the big house, and they you know they came out with thirty million in revenue, so it's worth it for them. But like, if you're not getting all that ticket revenue and all the you know revenue uh, secondary revenue and stuff, it's it's not worth it, you know. Which is a bit of a shame because I think it was the Puck Soup podcast that was talking about like this would be, and I mean some of it could still go, I guess, but this would be a really cool year um, if you can have fans on the stands, especially to start the year or whatever. Um, just watching like games be played in just junior rinks or whatever, or, like just out on a pond in Alberta would be sick, but I, it's not going to happen. But like, I would actually physically tune into games. I would have no interest in tuning into in the regular season. If they were just in some random location, just to see what it looks like. Yeah. It would have been cool to see. It's like, um, you know, like the hockeyville games where they play in a minor hockey link and the dudes are like climbing over each other on the bench. It's always funny to kind of see those. Yep, exactly. Just yeah, just like the just such a condensed thing. But I'm assuming camera angles and stuff would be hard with that too. So I understand why it doesn't happen. It'd just be, um, you know, cool to cool to see if it could. But what can you do, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and then, then no All Star game. Does anyone care? I think that's you know the only again the only the whole part of the All Star weekend is for the city that it was hosted in. But if you can't have fans, literally no one's going to care about that. So yeah, exactly. So as far as a viewing experience, good riddance. Yeah, sure back. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, not even good. Like, I don't know. No one's forcing you to view the NHL All Star Game, right? Like, but it just in a, in a year like this where everything's going to be so condensed, anyways, you don't really need it. Like, the the only good thing I found with the NHL All Star Game is it just kind of put a pause in the grind that was the NHL season. So if you know, like, you didn't care about it, you'd take a five day period from watching hockey, or you know, over a week sometimes it'd just be nice to reset, kind of. Yeah, it's not a bad. I'm sure the players especially are going to miss. Actually, even like the media types and everybody is probably going to miss it a lot because it's going to be a super hectic year for everybody who's involved in hockey with their full-time job any which way. So maybe it sucks for them that it's gone. But Yeah, exactly. For the viewers, I'm not going to miss it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't think I have anything else to talk about this week. Do you? 
Uh, no, I don't think so. So definitely a shorter one than last weekend or last week, which is it's all right. Uh, you know, last week was super long. We kind of thought after maybe we should have split up into two, but I didn't hear any complaints about how long it was. So that's good at least. Uh, but uh, yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Um, as always, you can find my work at uh, milehighhockey.com and lastwordonhockey.com. Find Chase's work at lastwordonhockey.com. Find Chase on Twitter at cmhockey66. Find myself on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. Uh, you can find this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you have a great week, and we'll talk to you all soon.